Welcome to More to Come, PW Comics World's weekly podcast of graphic novel and comics news. I'm Heidi McDonald, the Editor-in-Chief of Comics Beat at ComicsBeat.com. And uh, this week, I am joined by Michael Kupperman, one of my favorite cartoonists, <laughs> one of the funniest cartoonists in the world, uh, if you ask me. And um, But now, Michael, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. Yeah. Uh, kind of worn out. But uh, I, I was just up in Connecticut cleaning out the house still. I was cleaning out at the start of the book. So. Ah, okay. Well, I was going to say your book is not that funny. It's actually quite the serious book and a very big change in tone for you. Um, it's called All the Answers. And uh, I think this is a book you've been telling me about for years. Yes, I've been working on this since 2012. Um, we'll tell, uh, oh, go ahead. Tell us a little bit about what this book is. Sure. It's, uh, it's a book about uh, my father and about trying to figure out uh, his deal and who he was and, and um, trying to find out what happened during his childhood when he was a famous child star. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I was trying to find this out, he was kind of slipping down the rabbit hole of dementia. So uh, that's basically the story of the book. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, I did, uh, I, I mean, I don't mean to, um, you know, compare this with, with too much, but, uh, you know, it did remind me a lot of Fun Home, even though the, the, the subject matter is completely different. But, I mean, it's really a very powerful work about, um, you know, the mysteries of the past and, and dealing with parents who, with their secrets and, and everything. But, um but your your now your but your father, when he was a kid, was very much not a secret, right? He was a quiz kid, and uh, can you explain tell our listeners who might not know just who, who the quiz kids were? Sure, uh, the quiz kids uh, quiz kids was a show that was on. It started in August 1940, and five smart kids would answer questions, mostly sent in by listeners. And the uh, three who scored the highest would come back next week. My father went on it in 1942 when he was five. And um, after uh, needing to prep a bit more, he came back when he was six, and he stayed on for more than ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a very big deal during World War II. His stardom faded a little after that, but uh, during World War II, he was legitimately a, a, someone everyone wanted to meet. Right. Now, when did you first become aware of this this uh, secret life your father had had? Well, I was always kind of aware of it, but it was always just, you know, uh, trivia. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yes, we, we know this happened, but we're not supposed to mention it. It was understood mentioning it would cause him pain. Mm-hmm. So um, there were reminders, as I said in the book, you know, I, uh, they mentioned him on Rocky and Bullwinkle, which gave me a huge surprise once, and... You know, um, and occasionally up through the 1970s, people would sometimes still ask, are you related to Joel Kupperman? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was always aware of it, but also just aware that it was something that was in the past. It was not supposed to be discussed. It was not supposed to be thought about, you know, and that was that. And and through my 20s, uh, I, I was finding reminders that really shocked me mm-hmm. uh, of his career, but I couldn't really ask him about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow. So, yeah, 
did you did you talk I mean I mean I know you, you do talk about some of this stuff in the book but I mean did you talk to your mother about it I mean was she aware of how much you know what had gone on with your father she was sort of aware but I think you know the both of them were very forward-looking people mm-hmm. uh, and didn't like to dwell on the past or consider it or really think about it but she has actually told me that she hasn't read the book yet mm-hmm. herself I've been a little slow about showing it to her but she has said that what I've discovered about my father and what I've told her have somewhat changed her picture of who he was. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, one of the the great, you know, I don't want to have too many spoilers about the book, although I will say once you start reading it, you just don't put it down. I mean, it's such a fascinating piece of history and also, you know, both, both the history of the country. I mean, you touch on so many different things with obviously World War II and the war effort and also um, anti-Semitism and, and what the quiz kids meant, you know, for that as symbols and and you know, there's a lot going on in this book. So uh, you know, I, I couldn't put it down. I, I breezed right through. So, but well, thank but you. Thank you so yeah, no, I I mean, I remember you telling me about this, you know, this topic like years and years ago, and, and the fact that you finally got to do it is I'm so glad. But but there is like like you find a secret treasure trove of family family memorabilia right and that's kind of what leads you to to uh uncover that was that was huge i mean that was huge both in the narrative of the book and just in reality how much it revealed and that you know he had gone through this phase in in sort of uh after retiring but before really entering dementia where he was he was happy to talk to me about the show he still couldn't really remember much or Mm -hmm. couldn't make himself remember much but it speaks to how blocked he was on it that he didn't remember those albums even then. Right. So right. he really had to discover them. Right. And, I mean, your father was a super genius, right? I mean, what was his IQ? Well, yeah, his IQ measured when he was a child was 219. And his math skills were legitimately quite impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, some, of the, some of the problems he solved on Quiz Kids, I, I wouldn't have the first clue as to how to... <laughs> And he, he does it in his head instantly. But um, as he said himself, I mean, the question becomes, it, a child prodigy is someone who starts doing something when they're a child, does it really well, continues into adulthood, and then, you know, does even more amazing work in adulthood. So a true prodigy would be someone like Mozart. Uh-huh. So with my father, the question becomes, was he a real prodigy? And if he was did the show finish him because he didn't do anything with math after that beyond doing his taxes. Right, right. What did he do? I mean, he did go on to become an academic, correct? Yes, he was a philosopher and he wrote many books on character ethics, morality, and Asian philosophy. His work was translated into Chinese. He tra- he traveled widely. He was regarded as a very good teacher. He has uh, some students who went on to do great things who, who credit him strongly mm-hmm. as an you know, so he he did have a successful life after that. In in a way, I mean, he did escape and he did go on to do completely different things. So in a way, he was successful. Uh-huh. Right. It's just that emotionally, you know, it really I think crippled him. Right. Well, it is the child star. You know, I mean, we see this over and over and over again with with uh, child stars, and it's not necessarily just being on a sitcom. It could be in this this other phase. Well, you know, let me let me go back a little bit and talk a little bit more about just how this fits in with your own work because um 
like I said, you're really known more for insanely droll and hilarious comics. Uh, you know, Tales Designed to Thrizzle, I believe that was that, you know, you had an ongoing series of fanographics, which every time I got a copy, I would, I would just go around reading it aloud to people. <laughs> and, um, you know, it just, I, I don't know, it's just me. Humor is very personal, but your work is just hits me in that right spot. So, I mean, before that, you did, um, books for collections, but um, did you did you do like Alt Weekly? Were you part of the Alt Weekly generation, Michael? Yeah, yeah, I was in uh, Seattle Stranger for a couple of years, and I did a huge amount of illustrations for New York Press and other papers. Right. So, was that... yeah, I was part of the almost lost '90s generation. Right, right. Now, had you set out to be a cartoonist? Was that your your life's goal? I kind of, I sort of drifted into comics in the middle of my twenties. I, I was very interested in what they could do, but um, you know, as we know, the nineties wasn't the best time to enter that field. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I also went into illustration more as a way to keep myself going than as a, a wish career. Um, but no, I, I and then I, I kept doing comics and felt like I could communicate things with it. At mm-hmm. first, it was humor, you know. But then again, also, when I started on this book, it a lot of things started to become apparent, not just about my family, but also about myself. And I could actually see where all of this had affected me in my career. Mm-hmm. That in some ways, you know, his his life and both my parents' lives are about, you know, being professors, the presentation of information, uh, the conveyance of meaning. And my work is kind of about the deliberate absence of meaning. Um, <laughs> you know, just... Just in humor terms, but I also I also uh, realized how many references actually in my work there are to his career in the Quiz Kids. They're just very veiled, mm-hmm. but I hadn't known there were so many. Right, right. Well, your your work is kind of throwback. I mean, you use. Um, I mean, I guess you do use some kind of collage. Do you uh, images? It has a very woodcut like style for those who haven't seen it, and you do kind of your work is centered in that kind of 40s 50s kind of stilted drollery also the pulp era i don't know you know you we're killing the frog here okay like you really right. you really just need to read if you haven't seen it you really just need to to read uh michael's work but um yeah so let's let's keep killing that frog we're going to cut it right up a little bit more <laughs> but but yeah i mean you kind of had this i don't know how would you how would you describe it uh, it's really difficult for me to step back to that extent and take a look at it, but it's you know it's yeah it's humor. I'm I'm going back to kind of the era of the humor magazine, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I was trying to just be funny without any special message or meaning beyond that, which mm-hmm. in some ways I actually feel hurt it a lot in terms of critical and and uh, commercial response because there's nothing for people to write about really, mm-hmm. right. But, right. uh, yeah. Yeah, the more you I, I handle... It was, definitely, it was definitely very influenced by 20th century culture, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, you did do one narrative that was a little bit longer, and one issue that was about Mark... Was it Mark Twain and Albert Einstein? You mean the, the Mark Twain book? Or yeah, the, well, that's right. But it's, didn't it start as a strip? Or what's the history of that? Yeah, I started doing Twain and Einstein strips back in the early 90s, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. and I just kind of continued from there. Uh, I, I find them amusing. <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> the idea of them having adventures together. 
Right, right. And they were, uh, yeah, you did. That was your last book that came out, right? No, the last book that came out was Tales Designed to Thrizzle 2. Okay. Right, okay. I should have looked at your answer. It came out so quietly that I'm not surprised you don't remember it. Oh, well, I probably have a copy of it sitting here because, like I said, I, I do... I do follow your work. I just uh, didn't look at your Amazon page, so I forgot the uh, uh, I forgot the um, numbering. Now, with with the Twain book, though, it was kind of a was it a narrative? Was it a longer narrative? Or yeah, it was um, a heavily illustrated narrative. So basically, right. it was a humor book mm-hmm. with uh, a lot of illustrations. Right, right, yeah. right. So, how was it when you started to do all the answers? Though, I mean, is this your first sustained comics form narrative? Yes, and also my first serious work. Um, it was intense. It was really, really, really hard. I can't overstate how difficult it was, actually. It took, you know, I, I would say the whole project took uh, four and a half years, maybe, for the the writing, the research of the writing, and then the last year and a half for the drawing. Um, it really was about kind of figuring out the story, then restating the story, then breaking it down, then breaking it down again and again and again and again and again, taking out anything extraneous because what was most important for me was to convey what I wanted to convey, but also to have flow Uh so that it would be easy to read and that it would be a book that anyone could read, even if they're not a regular comics reader. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, did you discover, um, I mean, again, you know, your humor work is known for kind of this, this, uh, you know, deliberately stilted drollery. Um, I mean, how did you find that, you know, adapting your art style to this kind of thing worked? Well, I didn't even really think about it. I just, uh, I wasn't trying to be humorous, obviously, with this. I figured some humor would leak in. But for the most part, again, I was just trying to convey the story in as simple terms as possible. So I, I tried to work really fast, and I worked closer to size than I had been, mm-hmm. both of which to make it kind of more immediate and to prevent myself from getting too fussy. Right, right. It is very, very, um, it's quite, like, again, it's quite easy to follow. Now, you kind of draw yourself, though, and, like, maybe, I, I don't know, you maybe give your, your the character that represents you a little bit more of an abstract look, or am I just imagining that? No, no, I, yeah, I'm the one character who's kind of a stylized cartoon character because uh, that was really the only way I could get through it. Mm-hmm. I could draw other people. I could draw my father from memory easily a hundred times over. But as far as myself, I, I find it's much more of a challenge to draw myself every single time, <laughs> uh, you know, to, to convey myself. I had to make myself into a cartoon character to do the book. Otherwise, it just would have been a logistical nightmare and, right. and too it was already quite stressful enough. I've never been in therapy, but this book had me, you know, kind of in tears every night. Oh, my God. Well, are you glad you did it? Yeah, I am. I think it's made me stronger, and it was it was a thing that needed to be done, I think, really, for myself and for my family, you know, going forward. Uh, this, You know, someone needed to take this and, and claim the story and uh, say what happened as far as they can be understood. Uh-huh. Um, you know, but it was just difficult. And again, I'm not going to give any spoilers either, but as you know, there's, you know, kind of the sting and the tail of the book is something that's intensely painful to me. Right. Uh, in that last conversation we have, you know, it's, uh, it was, it was, it was a hard situation to confront. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, your father has passed now, correct? No, no. He's, oh. He's still alive. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. He's so. Stage four of dementia. Right. So he's not able to communicate very much. Right. Right. So, and your mother is still here? She's still uh, with us. We were just cleaning out the childhood house together, and hopefully, it's almost done. And she's uh, she's retired, but she's still she's working on a new book. She's keeping busy. Right. She's a historian. So, uh, you know, there is a very honored place actually in comics for stories about you know parenthood. Uh, you know, Mouse certainly comes under there. A fun home, as I mentioned, and. Um, you know, Raj Chast's book about, you know, can't we think about something more pleasant has really become one of the really essential reading about, you know, this this <laughs> situation that we all have to go through at some point, um, you know, dealing with our parents when we become the caregivers. I mean, were these books that you looked at at all? I mean, how did you, you know... Pre- yes, I read all of those. And uh, David Small's Stitches would be another right. one that was uh, an influence, which I thought was a pretty strong book. And um, I don't know what it is, but people of our parents' generation, um, they lived life really differently and they parented really differently than uh, I try to do, mm-hmm. for instance. And it's, uh, there's a lot to unpack. Uh, I mean, in some ways, I guess they were a generation that was making it all up for the first time, uh, that had a American middle class life. You know, they were the children of immigrants. And... Uh, there's just a lot to go through there. And I think it's something that a lot of people can identify with, you know, having parents who are poor at communication or who are concealing trauma from themselves and from you. Right. Right. I wonder how on earth kids of the kids today will react. You know, I mean, I imagine all the Twitter archives will have been wiped clean in some disaster, (laughs) but I mean, suppose it all survived. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's going to be all other things to deal with. I'm, and I'm hoping uh, my son understands me better than I understood my father up till the point of doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that we have a closer relationship, certainly. But who knows? I'm sure there will be issues that right. develop. Right. Um, yeah, although, you know, some people feel like like it is kind of a skip-a-generation thing. Like there might be it's, – it's kind of more like the – the earliest millennials who are the ones who overshared and now a lot of kids are becoming a lot more private about online stuff and social media you know they, they kind of learned their <laughs> lesson <laughs> yeah although my son already has a YouTube channel but I'm encouraging <laughs> well maybe not um, you know this book I, I you have some pretty awesome blurbs like uh, you got a nice a blurb from Jake Tapper you know or oh, he's a yeah <laughs> Um, I mean, what kind of response have you been getting to this from... uh, Overall, really strong. Like, um, you know, and from people I respect, but really strong responses. Like, people seem sincerely moved by it. They they say they read it all straight through or have uh, read it several times in a row. Uh, You know, and from some people who I really admire. So, um, so far, so good. Yeah. It's coming out. Yeah. Do you feel like, I mean, how has the, you know, the quiz kids, I mean, it, it is a little bit of a, a little known footnote, but now obviously with American Idol, which has just come back and all of these competition shows, um, you know, none of this is new, you know, it went straight through from that kind of thing to, uh, 
uh, you know, Ted Max Amateur Hour, or Candid Camera. I mean, you know, watch all of these things. It's it's people have always been voyeurs, haven't they? They have. I think this occupies a special place, though, because I think um, it was really the era when people became aware of children mm-hmm. uh, as something other than imperfect adults, and the idea that children could be amusing or say things that were semi insightful or you know fill a half hour programming with their chatter uh, was a new thing. And so they got all this uh, interest. And I think what killed it basically was when the next development happened, which is, wow, teenagers are really interesting. And then, um, you know, no one cared about the kids so much anymore because the teenagers, they were doing amazing things. And then rock and roll came along and that was, that was it. Right. Right. But now, I mean, you also talk about the quiz show scandal of, of the fifties. And I know there's been a couple of books about that. Or, excuse me, I mean, books about it, certainly, but also movies about it. But, I mean, this was like a huge bombshell, wasn't it? It was a big deal, but also simultaneously not. There was a lot made about it, but I think only one person served some very small jail time. There were no big sentences handed down. It was a a very noisy investigation, but I don't think much was done beyond a promise from TV that they would behave themselves better. And a couple of people, uh, including Louis G. Cowan, one of the characters in my book, lost his career. Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean, this was essentially as if, um, you know, it was discovered that on American Idol, like, you know, they were flooding the phone lines with the same thing. Although some people have claimed that. So, um, <laughs> Oh no, know. it comes up finally. Yeah. It, it happened. It kind of repeats. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, yeah, this was the first one, really the first scandal like that. And, um, like I said in the book, you can you can see if you go through the newspaper archives that people, smart people knew about it years before it was exposed. There was something in, I think, 57 where someone writes about one game show going to the library with slips of paper. Mm-hmm. You know, what's that about in a very knowing way? Oh, dear. Um, yeah. So it was kind of an open secret. And then it hit and the American people and President Eisenhower were shocked. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, I don't know if it really changed that much. It just had a cultural impact. Right, right. Um, yeah, what do you, I mean, you know, now there's so much TV and reality TV is, quote, reality, unquote, TV is so huge now. Um, although I think it's kind of peaked a little bit. Um, we're getting more into, like with Netflix and all these scripted shows that are, you know, more often than not based on comic books. Um, <laughs> but, um like, I mean, what do you? Why do you think people love this kind of stuff, even when they know it's fake? I mean, you know, when you watch these things, it's so obvious how fake they are. You know, even now, like especially these quote reality shows where they're you know keeping up with the Kardashians, or you know, it's been proven that all these things are. They give them a script, you know, and they're hiring writers for them. I mean, why do you think people I'm love? Sure. It? Yeah, I, I I don't know. I think people love to imagine themselves in another reality than they're in, and they don't understand the importance of a script and how it can affect uh, the delivery of lines and so on. Um, if you watch something like American Family, which was, I think, 1970 on PBS, mm-hmm. uh, I watched that once on a New Year's, and that is fascinating because that is reality. Those mm-hmm. people had no idea what they were getting into. They don't know how they look on camera, and it's... Uh, it's kind of exquisitely painful to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's interesting about the quiz kids is how kind of one note it is. I don't know if you ever listened to any of it. Mm-hmm. There's no reason why, but um, you know, there's a kind of 
jolly, you know, let's put on a show energy, but it doesn't change. It, it, it stays the same, whether they're answering questions or they have a Holocaust survivor on or, you know, they're talking about the war or anything. You know, the tone remains exactly the same. And if the kids make mistakes, no one laughs, even when they're really funny. <laughs> and it's, it's, so it's a completely different presentation uh, than what we're used to now. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, uh, you know, the primitive, the primitive reality shows of the time. Um, so what, uh, you know, this obviously has, has taken up a pretty big chunk of your life and, you know, was something that, like, I know that you were very... Um, you know, you wanted to do for a long time. I mean, uh, now, now what do you do? You know, now you've done this narrative, this, um, this true life narrative. I mean, are you going to go back to shorter comics or what what do you, I doubt it. I mean, to be honest, there's not much incentive to, um, you know, this, I, I, I wouldn't know how, frankly, uh, to get paid for them. Uh, I think this probably is the future for me. And, and what's likely is a continuation of this. Mm -hmm. Um, but I have to wait and see how the book does, really. Right. And if it does terrible, then I'd better hurry and write a YA humorous novel or something. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, maybe you could recast, you know, Twain and Einstein as a YA graphic novel. Um. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, I'm hoping this book does fairly well. And then I'd like to, yeah, continue, do something in a similar vein. Uh, possibly continue with my family story and the, the house and the town and all the rest of it. Um, but I literally only finished the book maybe five weeks ago. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I hand-lettered everything, including everything on the cover, so only the uh, barcode is not done by me. Damn. And, uh, and I'm still kind of worn out trying to collect my wits. Right. Well, I can imagine it would be quite an exhausting process. Um, you know, it's coming out from Gallery 13, which is a newer... Yeah. Uh, graphic novel imprint by some folks at Simon Schuster, and uh, they put out some pretty strong books. How, how did you get picked up by them? Uh, they they made an offer through my agent. Oh, okay. So you're eight, yeah. When I hesitated, they upped it. So <laughs> okay, secrets the way to go. Yeah, secrets of the comics. There um, is there anything uh, now? Are you still? I think we you and I had corresponded a little while ago. Are you still doing comics for Vice though? Are are those new comics or is that ongoing? Well, no. This is this may be an indication of how eccentric I am. But uh, first of all, no one's asking at the moment. Mm-hmm. But second of all, I was doing. Um, I, I wanted my style in the book to look as conversational and, and easy as possible. Mm-hmm. So both to keep in money coming in, but also to make it that way. I was doing other comics all while I was doing the book. Mm-hmm. So I did a weekly comic for Adult Swim, and I also was doing one for Vice. But then the moment I finished the book, the urge kind of departed. Mm-hmm. Wow, so you haven't... So you're definitely taking a break from from writing. Well, I'm doing a piece right now for the Nib on um, the the story about Henry Ford meeting my father and some of the other conclusions that you know mm-hmm. can be drawn from that. Uh, when I was working on the book, of course, uh, Nazis and white nationalism seemed like you know old hat, and then since then they're suddenly everywhere again. Oh, so there's that aspect as well. Yeah, you know that as as I'm saying in the Nib piece. In my book, it's a period when the government and the media are allied together against 
white nationalism, racism, and Nazism. And now it almost is like the opposite, like they're enabling it. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, there's a fun thought. Um, well, you know, I, I don't want to give too many spoilers for the book, but I will give one spoiler. Uh, when you read this, you are reminded that Henry Ford was an anti-Semitic uh, asshole. Um, pardon my yeah. language, Kate. You might have to bleep that out, but I don't care. Um, yeah, so, you know, it's good to remember these kind of things. Yeah, you know, I don't know. It's it's I, I don't want to make this a political podcast, but, um, you know, in a way, it is a little bit comforting, I guess, in that you're like, you know what, we have struggled before and, you know, overcome things, and hopefully the spirit of America is great. <laughs> yes, and hopefully we can get back there, but uh, continuing, you know, with the strides we've made forward since then. Yes, indeed. So, um, well, uh, the book is out May 15th, and um, I highly, I give it the highest recommendation. And uh, so, Michael, maybe we'll check in with you again when you've recovered from this process and, you know, see what you're up to and uh, talk. Yeah. 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 Well, um, well, thank you again. And and again, the book is All the Answers and uh, by Michael Kupperman. And uh, so thank you again. Take care. Oh, thank you, Heidi. Take care. All right.